So yeah, so before we start, right? So a uh, uh, quick introduction about Culture Monkey for our audiences, where Culture Monkey is an employee engagement platform, where if you if you have decided, you know, all the companies, a lot of companies care about their people and uh, still do a lot of the lot of things for their people for their employees, yet it's top down, right? If you if you want to do it bottom up, if you want to listen to your employees, source your engagement initiatives from your employees, it has to be bottom up. And once you have decided to do that and decided to listen to your employees continuously, you will face problems where you have multiple locations, multiple teams, diverse demographics, very, very different sentiments, right? And then there's a lot of life cycle where employees onboarded and then adapting and then being productive. And there's a lot of challenges when you want to really find out why employees are leaving, leaving your organization. And uh, you know, when you, when you want to do all of these things, have data in front of you, you still want to derive meaning out of the data. So once you have meaningful data, you know, you still be not doing anything with the company unless you've acted on it. So there is this one platform that where you can do all of this in one place. That's, that's what we, we, we do at Culture Monkey. So without any further delay, let's, let's get it on to Ketan. Ketan, uh, let's begin the session. Thanks a lot for being here and uh, audiences, good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Santil. Uh, Bhavna, welcome again. And uh, to our audiences, uh, let me do, let me try to do a small introduction of uh, Bhavna uh, from a professional front, of course. Personally, I can talk a lot about her. Uh, she, uh, Bhavna, is an executive director with uh, the management consulting for PwC, or you can call her the consulting leader. Uh, she's worked with brands like Genpak, SHL, and Right Management in the past. Uh, she is an organizational transformation and leadership development expert. Uh, she mostly works with the CXOs and family business owners as business partner, advisor, facilitator, and coach, whatever you may, you may want to call. But she helps them drive the business uh, for future, from readiness to future. Uh, her, her leadership philosophy is anchored on Charles Darwin's famous words, it is not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the most adaptable to change that survives. And, and uh, she is, uh, she, her interests are in travel and uh, photography. Uh, apart from, apart from uh, spending time with her friends, she's a great host for parties and get togethers. If you guys want to, I didn't oh, go okay. to <laughs> definitely trouble her. And uh, yeah, she, she, she's on a journey of continuous learning and uh, is, is the, the lens of adaptability is something that she wears in her life and in profession is what, what she says. I know her from my MDI days, uh, a, a dear friend, uh, uh, and I know we had shared uh, amazing memories. I'm not going to trouble the audiences with that, but I'm possibly will call Bhavna again separately and, and talk about those. But uh, definitely uh, one of the things I thank MDI for to, to give me a friend who I can call. And, and, and I can tell you guys, she's at a very, very, she's done really well for herself because of who she is. She will continue doing well. But a message from me and call from me and her giving time means a lot to me. So, so I looks like I've done a few good stuff in my life. So Bhavna, thank you again for joining in and welcome to uh, Culture Club, an episode by Culture Monkey. And uh, if you, if we can begin with you telling a little bit more about yourself, if you, if you are, if you want to, and about your organization, that will help. So um, uh, as part of PwC and, you know, over the course of my consulting career, uh, what I've really been doing is working with organizations, um, whether it is multinationals, whether it is startups, whether it is Indian business houses, whether it is family owned businesses, 
uh, to really help them think about being future ready. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, when we talk about future readiness, I think two dimensions become really, really important. One, um, thinking of the disruptions and the evolutions that are possibly going to happen and, you know, building that into the way you're really approaching business. And two, um, your people, the people that you have around you, the processes, the ways of working, uh, are they rigid to the point of, you know, not being inclusive of any changes? Uh, or are they dynamic and flexible and uh, very often agile and responsive to uh, changing environments, changing stimuli from different sources, right? Um, so the high that I get is really working with leaders of all types to really help them uh, craft organizations that are as flexible as, you know, a tree that bends when it faces a, uh, a strong headwind and doesn't necessarily crack and break because it has that ability to recognize when to be flexible and when to be firm. So that's a little bit about what I do. Um, I've got about 16 odd years of experience. Um, uh, the few gray hair that I have, I tend to treasure them a little bit more today because they seem to lend a little bit more credibility at times when I have conversations. Um, but uh, as, a, as a person, I'm, I come from a defense background. I love, love traveling. Uh, and my mantra has always been that I should have traveled to at least two more countries than my age. I'm doing about five more countries than my age, so I think I'm well-placed right now. So that's a little bit about me. A lot of people wanted to ask how many countries so that they can do a reverse calculation. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'll, I'll jump to the, the first question for you. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be very interesting because you bring so much of an experience uh, in, 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 uh, in the subject that we're going to talk about. So uh, what challenges, uh, Bhavna, do you think that the CXOs, and, and when I ask this question, I think it's about understanding the point of view and experience here, uh, are dealing with, with this post-COVID world, uh, especially when it comes to matters around culture and engagement, and with, say, the world going uh, remote. What, what are the uh, challenges you have heard about or believe are, uh, is that this CXO bunch is facing these days? Yeah. So, uh, you know, if I were to really look at it, I think what's happened is business models have been disrupted at a scale and in a way that was that is frankly unprecedented. Right. Uh, I think um, uh, organization models have been disrupted in a big, big way. And as a result of which what has happened is. Today, organizations are thinking about a lot of basics that have to do with survival, which until yesterday, they were not necessarily thinking about. Now, as a result of that, there are three big shifts that have happened. Um, I think one big shift that has happened is the role that the COVID crisis has really played in driving the momentum on technology adoption. Um, a lot of organizations conceptually got it. A lot of organizations were ahead of the curve, uh, but more than 50% of organizations um, were still grappling with what their technology thumbprint needed to be, right? And in, in, in today's uh, environment, at, at least over the last six months, there is an inordinate amount of uh, focus on the digital strategy and the, um, you know, the technology roadmap for the organizations to uh, enable people to work from home, right? So that's one big change. 
I think the second big change that has happened is that when you look at a lot of your people systems and processes, the way we worked classically, um, well, no longer really works because let's take the example of the simplest process onboarding, right? You would go to the office of the organization that you were joining, you would fill out a bunch of forms, you would get your identity card, you would get your laptop, you would get all of the assets that are given to you as an employee. But in a situation where one, you have complete lockdowns, you can't travel, how do you make that happen, right? Um, so the second big thing is that classical ways of working um, are getting questioned and getting questioned in a big, big way. And they are likely to continue to get questioned because uh, some people say we are on the second wave of the COVID crisis. Some say the first wave is not yet over. Some say we are on the third wave, but whatever wave, this is clearly an issue which marks something that is going to go on for a while, right? And, and, and uh, this is not an isolated incident. About 10 years ago, when we had the SARS crisis, we were disrupted to a large extent. So in, in, in this kind of context, how do we constantly look at, um, you know, questioning some of our processes and ways of working? I think that's happening in a big way. The third thing that I feel is happening in a, a big, big way is uh, we were used to um, coffee table conversations. We were used to walking across to the pantry uh, and having a chit chat with each other, just catching up over the course of the day, being able to blow off steam with just random unplanned conversations. That no longer happens. Um, you know, even if I have to have a sidebar or a side chat with someone from my peer group or someone from my team, etc., I now need to look at calendars, block time, and do that sidebar, right? Which is which takes away the whole interest and the energy and the excitement from that interaction. So I think what's happened is that one, technologically, we are ready in bits and pockets. And how do we ready ourselves from a technology point of view? I think that's one thing that is top of the mind. Um, the second big thing is our classical ways of working and some of those rituals that we were used to uh, because they would energize and frankly, they're critical for any group of people working together. Those are getting reshaped in a big, big way. And we necessarily don't have the flexibility to adapt to them very easily. Right. Right. And, and so, so if, if you can try to tie this up in terms of the impact this could have on, on the culture of an organization, what's, what's your point of view there? That's, that's one of the very uh, insightful things that I definitely want to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, different organizations have different cultures. So I think one of the, uh, one of the aspects that has changed in a big, big way is co-located working is perhaps becoming a thing of the past sooner that we had anticipated, right? Um, uh, uh, there are multiple conferences uh, that I have attended um, where I've heard others speak, where I myself have spoken about the fact that in the year 2030, uh, you will have perhaps people who are not working for one organization, who are working for multiple organizations parallelly, uh, for whom their um, uh, cubicle is going to be equal to the corner of that house that uh, they live in, which they are choosing to use, or the coffee shop that they choose to work out of, 
or you know what if you just cast your imagination a little bit someone may choose to be backpacking out of another country uh, and may choose to say that i want to work for 3 hours a day and that's my commitment to earning a livelihood and that should be possible i think that reality of 2030 is the reality of now right um, more and more organizations that i'm talking to are talking about working from anywhere right and how do you enable working from anywhere at the drop of a hat recently in the news um, you know rpg uh, who is a very respected uh, traditional business house was speaking about how uh, working from home is going to be a reality for a large chunk of their people for a large chunk of time now in this kind of a context i think culturally there are a couple of implications one how do we measure productivity when our teams are not sitting in front of us when we can't see what they are doing when uh, you know in a in a very classical shop floor example because senthil spoke about being an engineer so a very classical shop floor example was how many tea breaks are you taking in the day is each tea break 5 minutes 10 minutes or 20 minutes or more right so when you can't see what people are doing have our performance processes really evolved enough to say that we are outcome driven and it doesn't matter if you achieve the outcome in a day two days five days or two hours right um so i think that is one implication which is there that how do we measure um, uh, you know productivity and therefore culturally uh, what are we doing more of so are we asking for people to fill out time sheets are we asking people to um, you know just do check ins regularly um so all of these pieces will come into you know sharp focus so that's one part of it i think the second part of it is even as people are located in different places um you know a team that worked out of gurgaon for instance may today of 20 people may today be sitting out of bhubaneswar mumbai gurgaon uh, chennai pondicherry and a couple of other places right this set of 20 people um have the luxury of having known each other for a while and therefore there is a certain chemistry that flows in the team right but what happens when they don't meet each other for 2 years or 3 years uh, what happens when there is a 23rd or 24th or 25th person who joins the team uh, externally uh, who doesn't feel inducted into part of the team because that person doesn't get the jokes from 2 years ago when they used to sit around a table and drink coffee together right so i think the whole dimension of inclusion is going to be an extremely important area that we need to look at uh, engagement practices you know when i worked with genpact uh, one of the favorite engagement practices that i really used to have was uh, we would just pick up teams um, and uh, go sit on there used to be a mezzanine floor in our cafeteria and we would just go sit there and we would just chit chat about what's happening in life what is energizing whom what's happening with whose family and it was an energizer and an engagement driver like nothing else before or nothing else could compensate for right today when that is not possible right how do you actually make it happen virtually by building a discipline around it and uh, this is something that i have for example experienced over the last few months we do these friday uh, drinking sessions in the evening over zoom <laughs> or for example on a wednesday a midweek uh, get together over a glass of wine where you're not allowed to talk work you just have to talk about your personal life 
or you are for example uh, i think in a lot of organizations there's this huge focus on health and wellness right and therefore you're using a lot of technology enabled platforms such as a zoom or a, uh, teams or whatever else to do zumba together or to do yoga together right so i think when it comes to engagement what we're going to have to realize is the non negotiables have become negotiable right and how can we keep things simple and yet impactful and the way you measure impact is not going to be the way that you classically looked at it because you know what um neither are the systems to measure impact the same nor is the ecosystem in which impact gets measured the same so that's what i truly believe about culture and engagement given thank you thank you i think looks like uh, that thing has undergone a reengineering so so quite quite a lot of insight that came out so thank you so much for that bhavna and if i if i take it to the next level if i have to add one point here right so all the points that bhavna you said uh, is 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 uh, apt and uh, it reminded me of the charles darwin quote about adaptability right so all of these new things are overwhelming and uh, it's all the more true now that if you are not adapted if you don't have the ability to be flexible and, and change and adapt to these new things you know it's going to be hard for uh, uh, the, the the solid mind people to survive in this new new points that you mentioned true thank you thank you yeah. in fact you know if i could just take a minute and add this the things that we need to are changing but we are fundamentally the same people so the other linked aspect to this is going to be how do we continuously upskill ourselves to remain relevant to this changing curve because that's going to be an important one we as individuals will make it or break it right uh, and therefore the kind of capabilities that i believe are going to become even more relevant even more meaningful in the times to come Uh, are going to be somewhat different from what has got us where we are today. Yeah. In fact, it, uh, it reminds me of, of one of the senior leaders that I've worked with in that company. That this this terminology we used to uh, say uh, a concept called smell of the place. Now suddenly, no smell of the place because this is all virtual. And, and how do you take that into pocket of people and and spread that? One of your very very. Uh, interesting problem to solve. I'm sure we will learn in the process and lot of discussion. Right. So, what do you think uh, is the silver lining here? What what has it done to to organization which was uh, something that has been like pending for long, were not moving in that direction? That one thing, one thing that COVID has brought to organization. What's that silver lining? I'm reminded of a joke that did the rounds uh, at the beginning of the COVID crisis, and that joke very simply put was, "Who is responsible for your digital strategy? Is it your CEO? Is it your chief digital officer? Or is it COVID?" Right now, we all know the response to that one uh, in a lighter vein. But um, I think um, this there are multiple silver linings. One, the pace of openness that we have seen and i have personally had the very good fortune of working closely with a with a multitude of clients um i think the uh, the sheer open mindedness that i have seen in organizations has been terrific 
very often you need a catalyst for change in many ways this crisis has added, acted as that catalyst for change right uh, and today the openness that i see in people looking at flexibility looking at work from home looking at um, uh, you know um, liquid workforce uh, talent on tap uh, and some of these things has gone up in a big big way right at the same time i think when you look at aspects like cybersecurity when you look at some of these other aspects that are there which were considered to be hard reasons why um, you know people couldn't work from home those are also getting challenged right uh, there are so many banks for instance that have relooked at their uh, security practices and policies and there are types of people yes there are types of roles that would require people to go into the physical workplace but there is an equal or more um, uh, you know set of roles where people can work from home while ensuring protection of the work that they are doing and protection of the customers that they serve um, so i think that is one big silver lining the second big silver lining to me is just the focus on inclusion um, you know very recently i was speaking to the head of hr uh, of a pharma company and she was talking to me and telling me that thanks to the covid crisis earlier they would not necessarily look as the medical representative job as being a job that women would opt for right because uh, the hours the you know the the lack of safety uh, being guaranteed etc but she said in an ecosystem where you have to interact with the doctor virtually um uh, it's 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 almost obvious to say why wouldn't women want to be medical reps right when they bring the same skill set in any other way so i i believe the other silver lining is really this whole focus on inclusion um we can bring diverse views voices perspectives in like never before uh and i think uh, a lot of organizations are truly using this time to connect with their purpose uh to connect with the values that drive them uh and 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 really look at simpler ways to make that happen so i don't know if that answers your question ketan but for me those are two silver linings that i definitely see No, it's definitely a, a very interesting perspective, especially I think on the diversity inclusion is an eye opener. Uh, yes. I can only tell you from my personal experience that my appreciation of uh, what it takes to run a house has suddenly shot up by hundred times. I'm sure it has happened uh, about understanding what it takes to uh, do work also. But, uh, definitely, I, I think I think uh, that those walls and ceilings that were uh, related to gender or education and this. broken lot those that we for uh, okay. you put across i think it it is amazing thank you for calling that's very very powerful yes i think uh, this is the ninth episode that we're doing and uh, you know this is the first time we i mean it's, it's definitely like you said it's an eye opener for us as well the inclusions uh, part in this uh, as a silver lining as a very new point thanks thanks thank you what do you think bhavna this entire change transition lot is going to get redefined would mean for the hr fraternity yeah we have to fundamentally relook at how we add value right um if i if i break the hr fraternity into our centers of excellence and our classical business partnering rules um 
I, I, I do believe that both sets of people are going to continue to remain extremely relevant. I believe for our business partners, um, we need to be a lot more focused on, for example, you know, that classical phrase of walking the halls or walking the floors. Uh, we'll have to do it virtually for large spans of people. Uh, some uh, who are full-time employees, a lot of whom are temporary workforce or, um, you know, liquid workforce, and therefore they work with us for shorter periods of time. So how do we make that time count? How do we make that engagement count? I think is going to be an important one. Uh, our HR business partners are also going to need to leverage the power of analytics from our systems and ways of working to be able to drive value in a lot of the process-related work that they are expected to drive. And therefore, I think uh, the criticality of analytics, the criticality of being able to leverage technology to do a lot of things uh, is going to go up. Um, on the centers of excellence side, um, I, I do believe, and I've I've led a center of excellence around talent myself. I do believe that you know we we sometimes have the luxury of sitting in an ivory tower and conjecturing based on best guess estimates. Um, our need to be more anchored in business reality is going to be more than ever before, right? And therefore, as COEs, how do we ensure that? We understand our businesses even more. We understand the language of our business. And we work with our business partners, uh, our HR business partner colleagues, to really understand the spirit, the sentiment, the mood on the floor as we do a lot of process design work, I think is going to be very important. Um, if I really look at the skills that are going to be really critical for HR professionals going forward, one big one that stands out in my mind is design thinking. So, um, uh, you know, uh, Tech Mahindra, for instance, has been recently recognized for the terrific work uh, that Harsh, Vendra Soen and the HR team are really driving. Um, and uh, when, when I was doing a conversation with Harsh, he, he emphasized the whole focus on human-centric design, right? And that is something that every single HR person needs to appreciate and implement, right? So that's one. Um, I think the, the second capability that's going to become extremely important is analytics and a technology savvy mindset, right? How you can leverage technology to make your life easier so that you can do things in, with more impact, right, is going to be very, very important. And in that context, uh, I think analytics is absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial. The third one is influencing beyond boundaries. Um, you won't be able to walk into cabins or you won't be able to walk onto floors where people are there. How do you reach out? How do you build your networks of influence? Even though you are possibly going to do that over a screen very often or over WhatsApp or over emails, etc. I think that's going to be extremely important. And the fourth thing, which I feel has always been relevant but assumes even greater relevance today, is business appreciation. Um, the HR person needs to understand business as well as the sales guy, as well as the supply chain guy, as well as the finance guy, right? Um, and the intent really is that as the custodian of the soul and the values and the people of the organization, you have to understand how the business makes money and how the business truly creates values for our customers, for our investors, for our stakeholders. So that is what I believe is going to be critical for our HR fraternity, Kitten. Wow, thank you. A lot of takeaways. 
Yes. And of course, uh, in the conversation, I realized that you met one of my old, uh, old in terms of first and favorite bosses. Uh, uh, so, so I worked with her for about three years in Aditya Villa retail days and really phenomenal journey. So, great guy. I'm sure what he's doing at Tech Mahindra, a lot to learn from him. But uh, glad uh, that you mentioned about. And yeah, four takeaways, pretty, pretty important. For me personally, right now, I think the design thinking element is 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 one that sticks to my head right now, and I'm definitely going to do more about that. So, so I have my something added to what I need to do more that is yeah. added up. I think the answer simply means simply is like uh, four things you should HR should do. Blog, you know, that's what you just did. You know, <laughs> it it sounds like you know we should, we can we need to write a blog from this. Yeah. What What are the new want them to be open to or embrace to and for somebody who believes a lot in, in what in the power of being adaptable, uh, what are the things, messages that you want to give to people out there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what is extremely important is for each one of us to take personal accountability for upskilling ourselves. Right. Um, I truly believe gone are the days where you would work with one organization and that organization would would think about nurturing you and building you at different stages of your career path, etc. Right. Today, each one of us has to craft in our own mind what our career path is going to be. And for that, the big question is be true to your purpose. What is that purpose that energizes you, that motivates you? that makes you want to jump out of bed in the morning when you open your eyes is extremely important, right? Uh, someone I know who had an extremely successful job with uh, a pains organization actually decided that he wanted to set up his own startup in the space of education, right? Uh, he's gone through years of ups and downs and the COVID crisis has certainly not been um, uh, you know, kind to him. Uh, but the reality is that even today, when I speak to him and we speak practically every day, um, there's that energy in his voice because those first two or three hours of the day where he's brainstorming with his team on new products, what to do, what not to do, etc. It's not just about earning money. It's about creating value, right? So the, one, the first thing that I will say is be true to your purpose. And I'm certainly not self-actualized. So for me, my purpose has also evolved over the years. But just be true to asking yourselves those questions around what gives you a high, what gives you joy. Um, and, you know, if, if, if what gives you joy is to be a CEO, well, you have to realize that you're not going to get up one day and become CEO all in one shot. Um, you have to put in the grunt work and the hard work and the effort, and you have to build yourself to that level. So uh, if you're going to set up your own startup, you need to understand everything from financials, to uh, product, to customer value proposition, to people, to how you're going to deliver that. If you're going to work in an organization or multiple organizations, you have to figure what it takes to make it happen. So identify your purpose. Also identify what you need to make that happen and upskill yourself continuously. I think the gift that we have of uh, today's world is the fact that we have access to some outstanding content at zero cost. 
when you look at a Coursera, when you look at Alinda, when you look at various such, um, uh, you know, learning platforms, you can learn anything from making perfumes to, uh, um, you know, robotic process automation uh, to how to influence more effectively and a bunch of other themes yourself at your pace in a way that works for you, right? So how do you not just think about the future, but equip yourself to be able to deliver on that vision for yourself is extremely important. Um, the third thing that I will say is invest in relationships. Because relationships are truly the equity that you create for yourself. At the end of the day, most of us are energized by the thought of leaving a legacy. Now, what that legacy will be will be very different and very personal for each one of us. But the relationships that we invest in uh, become the path for us to deliver on that legacy. Right. And therefore, I would say that um, human beings, because we are social animals, we thrive on relationships. Uh, and that is going to be even more critical in the coming world, because even as technology becomes more vital, I think the human and human being also needs to be more vital. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's so amazing, powerful. And of course, the, the coach in me is right now bubbling a lot, but uh, so much for calling those guys. Uh, trust me, what he said is, is absolutely gold mine. Pause it, go back, listen this, to this again. But these are very, very important things of how you can focus and take what you want to do in life on the purpose, reskilling. Super amazing. Coming from somebody like Bhavna means a lot of good, but do listen, listen, wait, and, and, and understand what she's trying to say. Thank you so much for uh, that, uh, that one again. Entirely my pleasure and all the very best to everybody. It's an, it's an exciting world out there. And I think the beauty is to rediscover something in, in an ecosystem that is uncharted. Uh, I often feel that we are doing what uh, the Starship Enterprise did at some level, which is figuring out uh, a reality which is somewhat uncharted. So all the best to everybody. So if I, if I bring this together and ask you one question, is the e-culture the future? Is it already here? What, what's going to be your first response? So uh, a year ago, if we had been doing this, chances are you would have flown to Gurgaon or I would have flown to Bombay or we would have flown to the city where Senthil was. We would have sat in a studio, chatted across the table with a cup of coffee between us. I'm hoping the coffee still happens sometime soon. Uh, but this is e-culture. This is here to stay. This ain't going away anywhere. Uh, if you take a look at, um, you know, just some statistics, look at the impact of no carbon emissions over the last six months on our planet. It is phenomenal. You know, in Gurgaon, I'm seeing butterflies over the last six months of the kind that I have never seen, <laughs> right? You can, um, there are people in cities who can see mountain ranges, uh, which are not too far away, but which were never visible because there was so much of pollution, right? I think as a, as a race, we have discovered for the first time, we had an opportunity to hit a forced pause. And because we hit a forced pause where you couldn't fly, you couldn't take the train, you had to sit in the house, you've started appreciating a lot of very small things which make a huge difference. And I think the, um, the E way of working is a reality that's here to stay.
uh, I do believe that, um, uh, yes, as things open up, let's hope that we get things under control sooner rather than later. But even then, not spending four hours in traffic and using that time instead to spend with your children or your parents or your partners or yourself, uh, I think is, uh, is a very, very big blessing. And I do believe that most people who believe in PNLs will realize that there is more to profit from a E way of working than there is to lose. Wow. Shoot five kind of rapid fire questions to you, Bhavna. And it will be interesting to get your views. Are you ready? As ready as I'll be. <laughs> All right. So if not HR as a profession, what would you have chosen? When I say HR and consulting, you were doing, what would you have chosen if not this one? So the jury is still out there, but what I would love to do is set up my own coffee shop, um, which has a bookstore attached to it, just so that I can spend days meeting new people, um, enjoying the cup of coffee that I truly enjoy, along with the chocolate muffins that I truly enjoy, and hopefully create a few connects that, that give me an opportunity to give back. So like I said, the jury is still out there. I may still do it. Thank you, and I'm sure you would have some special discount coupon for special people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now the second one: cooking, cleaning, or mopping during COVID. Which was easier? Um, cooking. Cooking for sure. As long as it's not standard dal chawal, as long as I can do different things, different cuisines, cooking. For sure. Thank you. Third one, your next personal goal. Oh, um, all right. I think my next personal goal is, um, so I'm currently toying on whether I should do my PhD or not. Uh, I haven't arrived at a conclusion, but the, um, the questioning and the thought process is alive and well. Um, I'll let you know when I decide, but uh, doing something more in the space of education uh, is definitely something that's up there. And I've realized that over the last few years, I've got a lot of joy when I've been in classrooms giving guest lectures to students and apparently they've enjoyed it because they come back with lots of questions. I'd love to do something more around that, I think. Yeah, I do. I do remember the MDI days. I'm sure I would want to do your name as from Dr. Mahatma Bhatta. I'm sure. <laughs> wow, no, I must tell you, Ketan, I have expanded my repertoire to be more than thank you speeches. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. Book that had the maximum impact on you? Oh, that's one that I've read um, over the last year. It's a book called Autobiography of a Yogi. Um, I never thought. Um, that uh, spiritualism would uh, appeal to me, um, but it has. And uh, you know, when I when I read through that book, I must tell you, I picked it up four times, put it down four times. The fifth time, I actually read it. Then I read it another time, and I read it another time. Um, what it has given to me is, in this crazy world, it's given me a sense of terror. Um, and I, I, I do believe that, um, you know, uh, for all those of us who are um, 
I, I'm experimenting a lot with Hindi these days. Uh, so I do a lot of coaching in Hindi also. So when you feel I believe that a book like The Autobiography of a Yogi enables you to just look within and find your peace. Um, it certainly impacted me very positively. Nice to hear that. Good. Hi, I'll add one to my reading list. Now I'm also collecting and making my reading list to conversation. So uh, pick the one. Last one. one. Last one. Thank COVID for personally. Oh, just time. The gift of time. I don't think I have ever in my life not traveled for a period of six months. It has never happened. Um, you know, I come from a defense family, so travel is part of my life. Uh, I've been to multiple schools. Uh, my father moved around the country quite a bit. Um, and I realized my mother often says, and I genuinely enjoy traveling. But I think I had reached that stage where you know, uh, on multiple consulting assignments, you'd be in multiple cities. And there were a couple of times when I would open my eyes and I would think to myself, which hotel is this? Which city is this? Why am I here? I think the gift that COVID has given me is just the time uh, to spend with uh, my parents, my brother, loved ones. Um, and of course, the gift of Netflix and enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Bhavna. Thank you so much, Senthil. That's, that's most great from my side. Over to you, Senthil. Yes. Thanks a lot, Bhavna. I mean, uh, uh, actually, it's more of a, a, a coaching for me. You know, I was just blown away with a lot of points. I mean, honestly, uh, very, very honestly, some of the points that you made, uh, I was stuck. And I really think uh, the energy also that you brought to us. I mean, we, I, I'm worried that this session is ending now. So uh, we, <laughs> I'm I'm very serious. And, yes, and and I think I think we should we should uh, you know it's, it's just a season one, right? So we should we will come back to you with a season two with a new theme, new topic, and uh, in the interim as well, I will try and connect with you, and we can. I want to learn more from you in terms of uh, stealing some of your energy because uh, as an entrepreneur, I need all of that. Because, you know, you I, I I it felt like I'm in the I'm in a very safe place right now when you guys, when you both were discussing. And uh, of course, like you rightly said, thanks for giving us that gift of time. And uh, you, top, you top that gift with another gift where you're giving us the lessons and attention as well. So uh, this is going to be super valuable for all of us. So uh, yeah, this is brilliant. And uh, thanks a lot for being here, Bhavna. And thanks a lot, Ketan. Thank you, Sandil. Thank you, Bhavna. Have a good day. Good yes, have a great weekend. Bye, guys. Thank you. Yes.